we go. So, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. But seriously, what what is love? Uh, sometimes I think we uh, we define love by by kind of talking about the things that we love. Uh, we we talk about things that maybe uh, are important or, or or the people in our lives. So I love I love God. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love Buffalo Wild Wings. I love uh, coffee. Uh, I, I love fall weather. I love sleeping in. <laughs> um, so what ends up happening is we say we love a lot of things, but really in reality we we really mean that we we tend to like a lot of things, right? Uh, and in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and the New, and everywhere in between, uh, we're, we're called to love God, but often we just sort of like him. And, and so what is love? And so this morning what I want to do is um, we're going to take a look at that, uh, especially in how love relates to God. And so one of the things to kick this off is I, I'm betting that all of us probably have brought at least the same thing with us this morning, uh, whether that's uh, in in your pant pocket or in your purse or, or nearby you. And I'm wondering if uh, anybody can give a guess what that might be. Oh, close. I was hoping the giant key behind me might give it away. So it's your keys, right? I'm pretty sure that everybody has brought their keys, and um, you probably have your house key and your and your car key. And, of course, what do keys do? They open things. Uh, they, they give us access to things. And, and keys come in different forms. They come in unique forms. Um, sometimes they uh, they're not even tangible, right? So, like, you think about the key that unlocks your phone or your password to your email, right? The key of your social security number, that's kind of a big deal key. If that gets stolen by an identity thief, you're kind of, your life gets turned upside down. Um, and so I always have my keys, I probably for at least the last 15 years or so, I've had my keys on a carabiner. So that's one of these guys, if you ever wonder what a carabiner is. It's just because I hate full pockets. It drives me crazy. So I've got my keys on a carabiner. And I've got, of course, my car key here. It's kind of cool. It's like a, it's like a switchblade. Um, and uh, then I've got um, my house key. So I don't know if you can see it, but go pack, go. Um, and then I've got my office key here. And then I still actually have, this is the key from the house where I grew up, my parents' house. And it still is where they're living now. And if you've ever been to my house, uh, one of the, you might have actually seen some special keys hanging from my wall. So you might have you might have seen this if you've ever been over to my house. And I I like collecting things, and I I really like old keys in particular. And if you kind of look closely, you'll notice that one of those uh, is not like the others. And there's a bit of a story to that. So back in college, uh, when Sharice and I were still dating. Uh, we went on a mission trip to England, and there was this day that we had uh, just some free time. And I remember I just took a walk, and I was strolling along the River Cray, and then I came along a bridge. In fact, this very bridge right here. There we go. So, not the fanciest looking bridge, but, I mean, just... You can see a pretty idyllic scene there. And so I just kind of walked across the bridge, and I, I just kind of leaned against the railing, and I was looking down, and, you know, and I was in a contemplative mood that day. And I'm staring down into the water, and I'm thinking to myself, what? What is that? Is that what I think it is? 
think that's a key. So you need to step back from this moment. A key in a river over a bridge in the middle of England. That's kind of cool. So I was like, I have to get this key. <laughs> what does this key open? What does it mean? And so I went back and I got Sharice and I was like, hey, come with me. I got to show you this. And then we were like, we were trying to devise a plan. And, and this must have been like a God moment because there was like a 12 foot branch that was like big and hefty on the one side. And at the all of the way on the other side, it ended in a wee twig with a little curve on it. I mean, right? So I go and I grab this big branch and Sharice goes up on top of the bridge and I'm kind of fishing it. And, and Sharice is like a little bit left, a little bit over, a little down. Okay, I think you're right there. And I was trying to hook the little ring of it. And so I grab it and I swung and I turned it up and held it. And off of the end, Sharice plucks off this. How cool is that? To me, this is one of the greatest keys that I own, because it's pretty special. Well, starting last week, we began talking about some really important keys. Not, not physical keys, uh, but something greater, a key to something greater. And, and we're doing just this short two-week series uh, called The Keys to Life. And Mike kicked it off last week with the first key to life, which is fear the Lord. And until we learn how to have the right perspective and the right understanding of who God is, uh, his power, his glory, his authority, we don't have the right framework. And the second key to life that we're going to take a look at today is love the Lord. And if one of my children one day were, were to come up to me and, and say, Pop, what's the, what's the meaning of life? What's, what's the key to life? I honestly think in some way, shape, or form, my answer would boil down to love the Lord. And it's probably the most important thing I could tell them. It's, it's the number one thing that I think will set them up for true success in life. So what is love? And what does it look like to love the Lord? And like I mentioned before, Scripture actually talks a lot about it. And one of the most amazing places that Scripture talks about it is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want you guys to turn with me there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it is on page 130 of our Red Bibles. And if you'd like one, Scott would love to bring one up to you. So just wave at Scott. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, and that is on page 130 of the Red Bibles. And we are going to start at verse 4. We're going to read verses 4 through 12, and then we're going to skip down to 20 through 25. So let's, let's read that together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then 
when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then jumping down to verse 20, in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of these, of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. Hold. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Well, if you have been following Christ for any period of time, that might have sounded at least a little bit familiar. And, and, and the reason is it's, it's a pretty famous passage. In, in Hebrew, it's what's known as the Shema. And, and essentially, it's hear, O Israel. This is what's important. This here is the greatest key to life. Love the Lord. And still today, Jewish men, women, and children, still today, memorize this whole passage of scripture. It's that important. And it starts off by telling us to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And one of the reasons that it might be even more memorable is because when a Jewish scholar of the law approached Jesus and asked him, which commandment is the greatest? Do you know which commandment Jesus said? This one. And Here's actually what Mark, he says in Mark chapter 12. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. No commandment greater than these. <laughs> in the passage in Deuteronomy 6 that we looked at, kind of had gone on to say and to remind Israel that every good thing that they are about to experience is not by their own ability, but by God's power and his promise. And so Moses, who's, who's writing this to the Hebrew people, tells them, when your kids ask, why, why do we do all these stuff? Why do we follow these rules and these laws? Well, then you tell them what it was that God did for us. Tell them of the Lord's greatness. That's why we follow and obey these commands. Because remember, in one generation, there will be a whole group of people that simply haven't experienced what God has done. All the children born after this time will simply not have seen with their own eyes the, the slavery that, the Hebrew, that God took the Hebrew people out of, uh, the miracles that God did in the wilderness, and the wonder of, of this amazing new land that God gave them. They simply will not have experienced it. And it kind of makes sense because even now, there's, there's a whole generation of kids that don't necessarily understand why when we go to the airport, there's so much security and why it takes so long to get through all those lines, right? And, and they don't even know to know that there should be anything different than the way it is because there's a whole generation 
that have never experienced a time before 9-11, right? And, and there's a whole generation of kids that think it's just so weird that you can't just simply, that someone could simply be unreachable, that, that you couldn't just get a hold of somebody at any point that you wanted. And I remember when I had some youth group students, I was trying to explain to them a payphone. And they're like, what? And then I remember telling them this story of when I was in high school and when I was uh, after volleyball practice, I used to use the payphone and I'd call home, collect some, to my mom. And when the automated system would prompt you to say your name, I'd say, mom, it's me, pick me up. <laughs> so there's a whole generation of young people that have never experienced a time before cell phones. And there's a whole generation that can't fathom the idea of information not being instantaneously available. And, they, and it blows their minds when you tell them that we have these, these, these books, these volumes of books called the encyclopedia <laughs> that we actually had to use to reference and find out things. They've never experienced a time before the Internet. And when I was little, um, if I didn't finish my food, I, I didn't get that classic line, you know, the, there are children starving in Africa. <laughs> Do you guys get that? So I, I think I might have once, but then I came up with some smart aleck remark on how she should ship my food to Africa. Um, but the line I always got, like, always got was, when we were starving in Russia, <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> and, well, the truth is, actually, at some point, I'm pretty sure I'm going to start using that with my kids. <laughs> when your Oma was starving in Russia... And well, why? Well, it's not just because I want to get them to eat their food, but I want to teach my time or my kids about a time before they were born. Uh, I want to teach them about a time when my my parents and grandparents went through this horrible life back in Eastern Europe and and through the war, and then a really difficult life when they came here to this country with nothing. And I want my kids not to be grateful for what they have, but to know where they came from and what sacrifices were made for them before they were even born. And God knew that the road ahead wasn't going to be easy for the Israelites, his children, and especially for that next generation. And that one of the major roadblocks was going to be their own lack of memory or even lack of knowledge of where they came from and what sacrifices were made by God for them. And this message then to the Hebrew people in Deuteronomy, I think, is really still true for us. And it's not because we're now thousands of years removed from what happened all the way in Egypt, but rather it's because, like the Israelites, we also tend to forget God and, and what God has done for us. And we forget to talk about it and we forget to tell the next generation. And, and mostly it's because I think we forget to love the Lord. And instead, we just kind of like him. So what is love? And, and since it's the most important key to life, uh, what does it look like to love the Lord? And I think, uh, of course, we see that answer in, in verse 5. Uh, we're told to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And if you remember, Jesus actually adds one more. He, he also says, and with all of our mind. So heart, soul, strength, and mind equals love. 
And we love God with our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. But loving God with our hearts, soul, strength, and minds is the very thing that God knew we and the Israelites were going to struggle with. Uh, and, and that we'd struggle to remember loving God in these ways. And since these are the, this is the greatest key to life, and these are the ways we're supposed to love God, I actually think it's really important that we take a look at each one of those individual areas and, and see the ways that maybe we fail to remember to love God these ways, and then also to see maybe what it is that we tend to love instead of loving the Lord. So to start with, we are called to love the Lord with all of our heart. And the challenge here is that we tend to love something else with all of our hearts, namely ourselves, right? So my wife, Teresa, and I were talking uh, to an old, old friend um, a couple of weeks back, and, um, and we were both blown away by how, how arrogant he was sounding. And, and we both kept thinking to ourselves, we talked about this after, we were both thinking like, do you hear yourself? Like, you know, in the way he was talking, you would think it was because of his own awesomeness or greatness that he's achieved everything that he's achieved. And we kept thinking, gosh, like, he's, he's really in love with himself. And this is someone who's a follower of Christ. And so this was a little tricky because we're like, oh, man, it's going to happen to the best of us. And God knew that the Israelites were going to have the same problem, and so were we. And so take a look. This is what God says in Deuteronomy 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So God's saying he didn't choose the Israelites because of how awesome they were or how popular they were or, or how great they were. In fact, they, were, they really weren't anything special at all. And rather, it was because of his own love for them and that they needed to remember to not love themselves, but to love him with all of their hearts. And in scripture, King David actually is somebody who I think exemplifies really well loving the Lord with all of his heart. And he knew how to love God from the heart. And aside from his shortcomings, we see somebody who uh, is humble, who remembers what God has done for him, and who remembers God's greatness not his, his own greatness. And, and one of the things that I believe a little bit is that, is that love is both an emotion and a choice. And in the Psalms, we see that David is emotionally connected to God. He, his heart is captivated and captured by God. He passionately, emotionally, deeply loves God, Right? But one of the things that we also see is that he chooses to love God even when his emotions aren't there or his emotions are somewhere else and he's struggling. And I think choosing to love is probably best demonstrated in the role of a parent. And I think many of us, for, for many of us, so many of the ways that our parents loved us was by the ways that they sacrificed for us and they chose to love us. And so Sharice and I just welcomed our, our third little baby into the world. 
And, and that also, though, meant that this was Sharice's third C-section. Um, and so every once in a while, um, she'll show the kids the scar and, and use this as an opportunity just to show how much we love them, how much uh, we've chosen to make sacrifices for them. And God uses the same language. Uh, he calls Israel his child. In, in Hosea, he says, out of Egypt, or, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So loving God with all of our hearts means not loving ourselves and remembering that we're chosen by God, not because of our awesomeness or our greatness, um, but because of his love for us as our heavenly father. And that it also means to love him. It means to, to love others sacrificially. So we're also called to love God with all of our soul. Uh, the thing I think we wrestle with here is, this, is a tendency to be self-righteous and to love our own righteousness, our own morality, uh, maybe even our own religious beliefs. And I think there's plenty of examples in the world that we could point to about hypocrisy um, when it comes to being self-righteous, but I think God wants us and the Israelites to be holding up a good mirror here. And again, this is, this is what God says to the people now in Deuteronomy 9. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of the land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your, your fathers. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. God is compassionate, loving, slow to anger, quick to forgive. We are not. And outside of him, we most definitely are not. I'm on, I'm on the HOA board for my subdivision, and one of the things that we're trying to do right now is um, kind of amend the bylaws to, to make it a little bit more lenient in the subdivision, kind of for where it seems like people are wanting to, to lean toward. And so we, um, we posted this notice on Facebook that we were going to do this, and you would think we were messengers from Satan <laughs> for the way that everybody just started attacking us and blasting us and, and just all this grousing and complaining. And there was this one older woman in particular that just started going on this rant and how she was losing vast sums of money on her property value and how could we do this and, and because of the way the bylaws weren't upheld. And then we came to find out, somebody's like, I, I think she moved. I don't even think she lives here anymore. We're like, what is she doing? Like commenting on this that doesn't even affect her. We are a stiff-necked people, right? Spiteful, quick to anger, slow to forgive. And, And this is often driven by pride and a love of our own righteousness and and this belief that if if somebody is wrong, I am 99% sure that it is not me. And we hold out that 1% to stay humble, right? (laughs) But God reminds the Israelites and us that it isn't because of our righteousness that he chose us. 
And the Apostle Paul actually says the same thing in Romans. Check this out. Steve, if you could hit there, there you go. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To love God with all our soul is about surrender. Uh, surrender in knowing that it's not about our righteousness. And, it, and it's surrendering our will for his will, our plans for his plans, our life goals for his life goals for us. And, and maybe it's surrendering the idea of what retirement will look like or surrendering the idea of the cabin up north or maybe it's surrendering the idea of your time and money being all for yourself or for your family. And to love God with all of your soul is about surrendering our rights. And I think for us as Americans, this is really hard. Because I remember learning in school, as you probably did, about certain inalienable rights that we have. I remember being taught about those rights. And yet, Scripture teaches us about laying down our rights, just like Jesus laid down his. So to love God with all of our soul is really to walk through life with an open hand. That pretty much everything we are and, and anything that we have that we would be willing to sacrifice at any point, let God be able to take that or to change that, but that we walk through life with an open hand and then that what this does is this leads us to true worship. And this is our spiritual connection to God, connecting our spirit to his spirit in worship, loving him with all of our soul, being totally abandoned and surrendered to him, giving him all glory, honor, and praise, all control, all rights. And we're also told in Deuteronomy then to worship the Lord, to love the Lord, uh, with all of our strength. Love the Lord with all of our strength. And the problem that we, we tend to have here is that I think that the things we have, the blessings, everything um, that was achieved by our own hands, um, we, we come to love those things and we come to love and trust in our own power. That we, that we believe the things that we have, what we've been given, we did that. That, 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 that we achieved it, we earned it. And the Lord, of course, again, speaks to us and the Hebrew people um, about the same problem, the same tendency. So look at this in Deuteronomy 8. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his degrees that I am giving you to this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, and when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied and your 401k is filled up, and you are living the dream, that was me, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I think there's another slide, yes. And you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Life is busy. Life is tough. Uh, energy and time are always at a premium. I get that. 
And, and it's always easier to use what strength we have to serve ourselves and to look at the things that we've worked hard for and say, I did this. I achieved this. I earned this. And yet God tells the Israelites and us, don't fall in love with your own power or think that it was by your own strength that you achieved anything. It's by my power and by my strength. And the way that we love the Lord with all of our strength isn't just by giving or serving when we have excess of time, energy, money, etc. It's, it's when we don't have excess. And it's far too often that I have heard I don't have time to join a small group or to serve on a Sunday morning team or to reach out to my neighbors or to serve in the community. Yet when Jesus talks about giving to and serving the Lord and loving him with all of our strength, this is is what we see in Mark 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. The Apostle John then says this in his first letter. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. To love the Lord with all of our strength means to love him even out of the poverty of our time, our energy, our wealth, anything, and to give everything in serving him in serving others because he first served us. And then the last way that we're called to love the Lord is with all of our mind. That's the one that Jesus adds. And the challenge here is that I think the challenge that we face is that loving the Lord with all of our mind um, is that I think our minds are often dedicated to loving something else. Our minds are just often elsewhere, and we so easily love other things and turn our minds from God. And we call those things idols. And so God warns and reminds his people of this also in Deuteronomy 8 and 9. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed Then the Lord told Moses, go down from here at once because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have turned away quickly from what I commanded them and have made a cast idol for themselves. See, we quickly turn away and turn our, forget and turn our hearts to idols. And so one of the things I thought would be really good is actually if we go back to the the very beginning uh, kind of section of of what we read um, from, from Deuteronomy, verses 6 through 9. And, and this is what it had said, so that we don't forget. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. But instead of doing that, um, I think we often do something else. I think we often forget, and I've kind of come up with a modern reading 
for those verses. So, so here's, here's my modern reading. This smartphone that you have bought today is to be constantly upon your heart and thoughts. Impress them upon your children at all times from a young age. Talk on it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. Scroll on it when you lie down and when you get up. Tie it in the form of a smartwatch on your hands and bind it constantly to your face. Write posts on it regularly on the virtual doorframe of your Facebook page and the digital gate of your Instagram and Twitter accounts. Right? I mean, that makes maybe a bit more sense to what life often does look like for us, doesn't it? Not the first part. (laughs) So we so quickly forget the Lord and we turn our minds to the things of this world, to idols. That's what they are. And we come to love things by our dedication and devotion to them and our obsession with them. And, And yet in those verses, we were actually told to love the Lord by, by dedicating our thoughts to the Lord's commands. Um, and these are all action steps. Uh, impress them. Talk about them. Tie them. Bind them. Write them. To love, to love the Lord our God with all of our mind is about dedicating ourselves to the Lord and his word and his teachings. It's about dedicating ourselves to scripture. And not just to a verse or maybe the Bible apps, you know, kind of daily passage but to intentionally put our nose into the Bible, studying it, reading the whole thing, and seeking the Lord in it, and really trying to understand his ways so that we can make his ways our ways. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So what is love? What does it look like to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, I think in those things we can kind of see where we forget to love God. And more than that, and this is the part where I think it gets interesting, if you recall that last verse from our our passage in Deuteronomy 6, it's the last one in chapter 6, and it says, And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Meaning, This is what will make us right before God. I think it's kind of like being given the key for a door that's too heavy to open. Because speaking for myself, I have not loved the Lord with all of my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I have not obeyed all of this law before the Lord. And I on my own am not righteous. And the Apostle Paul was right there with me, and he agreed. And this is what he says in Romans. Oh, go back to the last one, Steve. Is there a Romans one there? Oh, maybe I'll read it off. He says, There is no one righteous, not even one. So then, what is love? And what does it look like to love the Lord? If this is the absolute greatest key to life, what does it look like to love? And I think uh, we find some amazing answers from the Apostle John. And this is, this is what John says. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice 
for our sins. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So the greatest key of all is Jesus Christ. And in him is how we know how to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. And so I want to take a moment now. Um, I want to engage us in prayer. And I don't want to necessarily pray for us or for you, but I'm hoping that in my prayer that you pray with me. Uh, the, the band's going to come up. Um, and, and they're going to lead us then in a song afterwards, which is really going to be a prayer over us together as a church family. And we invite you to, to stay seated for that song and just read these lyrics and make it your prayer. And so I, I want you to join me now together in prayer together. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you as your children not because we were your legitimate children, but because we are your adopted children. Uh, because our hearts were far and because you chose us and you invited us. And by the power of Jesus Christ, we have the ability to call ourselves your children. And as our Father, we want to love you. We are told to love you. We're commanded to love you. And yet in our very hearts, we know we need to love you. And so, Father God, I ask that you would help us grow more in love with you. In regard to our heart, Father, I pray and we pray that there would be less of me and more of you. That you would continue to put down self and our thoughts of our own greatness and that you would continue to well up in our hearts our understanding of your greatness. Like, like John the Baptist, that we could say, I need to decrease so that you can increase. In regard to loving you with all of our soul, Lord God, I ask that you would help us not be a stiff-necked people and to open up our hand to sacrificially lay down before you all that we are, all that we have, that we would learn to surrender fully to you and that you would truly be our righteousness, that Jesus would be our righteousness and that in him our hearts could leap in worship, in passion and emotion, in worshiping Jesus Christ. And Father, in loving you with all of our strength, Father, I... I ask that you would help help us, help me love out of our poverty. And remembering the words of Paul, knowing that when I am weak, you are strong. And that we could just lean into your strength and love you then with all the strength that you have given us. And Father, to love you with all of our mind, the one that Jesus added in, the one that Jesus knew we also needed to do. Father, I ask that you would help turn our thoughts, that you help turn my thoughts from the things of this world. 
things that so easily distract, the things that want to trip me up and, and drag me into sin, the things that are always fighting for my attention and my thoughts. And Father, that you would renew our mind, our minds, that you would renew my mind, and that you would increase in us a devotion for you. We pray all these things by the power of the Holy Spirit in the matchless name of Jesus.